Jessica Anderson and John Kusher, two divorce lawyers podcasting about family law, relationships, and celebrity splits. You're listening to Love Court Off the Record. Jessica, this is an interesting Love Court because it almost seems like Someone doesn't like attorneys. Right. They're totally questioning their lawyer's advice. So she says, my ex-husband is pretty much a deadbeat. He was way behind in child support until I was finally able to garnish his paycheck. Our oldest child turned 18 and graduated from high school three years ago. My other child just graduated this year. He never took me back to court to have the child support lowered when my oldest daughter turned 18. So the original child support amount for both kids continued to be taken from his paycheck until my youngest child graduated in June. It was hardly enough to support both children, so I didn't think anything of it. Recently, I finally took him back to court to get reimbursed for about $10,000 in medical expenses in orthodontia that he failed to pay over the years. His attorney claimed in court that even if he owed for the medical expenses, he should be credited for the overpayment of child support from when my oldest daughter graduated three years ago until now. When they did the math, he had overpaid child support by approximately $18,000, and then I actually owed him money. Right before the hearing, he offered to pay me $3,500 to walk away. My lawyer said that I shouldn't take it, that I would do better in court, so I didn't take it. But then we lost in court, and I just had to write him a check for twice the amount he offered me. I am so mad about this. I feel like my attorney did not give me good advice. I also feel that it was his own fault that he didn't get his child support lowered when our oldest child graduated. I don't understand how this happened. Any advice? Yeah, her attorney gave her bad advice. <laughs> that, where, where do you want me to go? It? Where do you want me to go from that? <laughs> okay, so we could talk about the legal implications. I mean, I thought I thought when you started, she had like a big pile of arrears that it wouldn't have mattered anyway. But I guess that wasn't the case. Again, I noticed right off the bat, he's a deadbeat. Well, he, he was a deadbeat. He was a deadbeat, but he was giving you money. Right. So I think what happened was she's calling him a deadbeat because he was late in his child support obligation a couple of times. So then she had the DA go and garnish his wages. And so then she was paid because the DA just took it directly out of his check. But when the oldest child gr- graduated from high school and emancipated three years ago, child support should have been reduced because right. now instead of two kids, he's only paying for one. Except it wasn't, and the DA kept taking at the normal amount. And the mom said, oh, but wait, I'm owed $10,000 from back medical expenses, which, by the way, you're supposed to pursue within 30 days of receipt. So I don't understand how she has $10,000 in back paid medical expenses. I mean, hopefully she requested reimbursement and he just didn't pay it. But I'm wondering if maybe she didn't even request reimbursement and is now just trying to get back medical expenses. Yeah, usually the agreements say you waive it after 30 days if you don't provide notice to the other side, right? Right, but I don't know what their agreement says, so I'm speculating on that point. What dad should have done, though, when the child became 18 and graduated from high school, he should have notified the DA's office. If if it doesn't happen automatically, notify the DA's office so you can have your child support adjusted appropriately, but apparently he didn't do that. This issue is actually pending before the Nevada Supreme Court right now because the DA's don't automatically do anything. Let's say, okay, you're going to pay $1,000 a month for two kids, and then one child emancipates. The DA isn't going to say, okay, well, then your support is $500. The DA is going to say, we're going to continue to assume it's $1,000 until you go back and have your child support modified and looked at based on the fact that now you just have one kid. That's interesting because the way they're drafting the orders now, this specific amount for this child and this specific amount for the other child. That's a new thing. Okay. That's new because this is pending in front of the Nevada Supreme Court right now, this Mm -hmm. exact issue. 
Because because the second child is technically only worth seven percent, whereas the first child is right. worth eighteen percent right. of the gross income. Right. The way the stats. And goes. what income do you use to calculate what child support is? Do you use it from the date of the first order, or are you going to use current income to modify forward? We're getting kind of technical, but there's two statutes that conflict. There's the one that says that you no longer have the obligation to support a child after they emancipate. And then there's the other statute that says you can't have retroactive modification of child right. support. Right. So if you're your parent paying child support and the child graduates and is 18, then move the DA's office to review and modify child support based on that change. Right. But what if, like this case where you have both parents didn't do anything, should mom receive the windfall? I want to go back to that, though. Uh, In the letter, she says, well, he never took me back to court, so I didn't think anything of it. Yes, you did. You were not going to go back to court either to not get the same amount of money that you were getting from the total number of children. So she don't act like you're, oh, well, he didn't think any of that, so I just let it slide. Right. Of course you're going to let it slide. $1,800 for, what is this, three children or two children, and then one graduate you're not going to want to go down to $600 a month when you have been accustomed to $1,800 a month. Exactly. So I'm going to take that off as greedy. So probably what she should have done and what her lawyer should have advised her is, look, maybe you don't want to rock the boat. Maybe you want to take into account the fact that child support would probably be lowered after your oldest child emancipated and maybe not go after these medical expenses and just call it good, or take that $3,500 that he's offering you to walk away, which is probably his lawyer fees for going forward, right? Mm-hmm. I never give clients any guarantees, neither do you. No right. good lawyer does. So There are no guarantees. Right. I mean, you go into family court, there are no winners. Everybody loses, so you cannot assume that you know, you're going to be victorious. What would you have advised if he came back and said, I have $3,500, I'm ready to give you that right now, and we can be done with it? What would your advice have been to her? Well, I think you look at it very practically, which is you've received more than you're entitled to. How is that fair? What's the total amount that you've received? What's the total amount you're being potentially offered from him and make a business decision? This seems like it's in your best interest. Otherwise, face the risk of going to court and potentially losing more. Cost-benefit analysis is what you have to do. Would you say that this attorney, if he said to her the way she's saying it, because this attorney isn't here to defend himself, that he gave the advice maybe to continue on with the fight so that he was getting the money? Because $3,500 seems like the amount that that probably would have cost the dad to hire an attorney. Right. So, I mean, if a lawyer is giving advice based on the fact that they need to get paid, that's always a bad thing. I mean, you your duty is to your client. I don't know. I mean, I have to assume, unless it's a brand new lawyer or a bad lawyer, that this lawyer said, look, there's a risk going forward. I mean, like I said, this issue is in front of the Nevada Supreme Court right now. So the judge could have come down on either side. The judge could have come down on, nope. You owe $1,000 because you sat on your rights and you didn't seek to modify your support obligation. So you owe that. And and therefore, there is no offset. Therefore, you owe her money. But, you know, that issue is not a slam dunk on either side. And hopefully the lawyer said, look, there is a risk going forward. You could take the 3500 and call it good and not know what the outcome would be or unfortunately, have the result that she actually had where she had to write him a check. If she hadn't brought the motion, probably nothing would have come of it. She asked for your advice now. There's really nothing else she can do at this point. It's been resolved in court, correct? Yeah. I mean, she could appeal, I guess. 
I think it's highly unlikely she'd prevail on an appeal. Well, the issue is pending in front of the Nevada Supreme Court right now. But <laughs> so it's depending on how the court comes down. The only argument is uh, incurred child support. You, we can't go back and retroactively modify a child support order, right? That would be her argument. Right. And his argument is by operation of law, I don't owe for my second, my first child. And that is the issue that's pending. I mean, I don't want her to spend more money on this because I think anytime you fight child support, orders, you're fighting a losing battle. So financially, it doesn't make a lot of sense. But if the Nevada Supreme Court says this constitutes a retroactive modification of child support and therefore is improper, I mean, the district attorneys filed an amicus brief. An amicus brief is a party that's invited to intervene by right. the Supreme Court to say, what is your opinion on this Right. Matter? So okay. the in, in Nevada, the district attorneys from Washoe County and Clark County both filed an amicus brief saying that we think that this constitutes a retroactive modification of child support and therefore shouldn't be redone. Like whatever he sat on his rights, that's his own I, I problem. But the family law section also issued an amicus brief on the opposite side, saying it's by operation right. of law, there's... I, I think because the district attorney's offices don't want to have to do more work and monitor every case, isn't that kind of the, the basis for their opinion? It's like, don't make us do this. It's the party's obligation to do this. Right. Which yeah. which I understand. I mean, they have so many cases to enforce. Your friend Susie was really like up in arms about it. I love Susie and Carrie. I think they do a great job. I just think that it's interesting that this has to be modified by the Supreme Court in Nevada. It seems to me like if I was a judge and you said, okay, well, Tommy turns 18 in 2000, 2017, we're going to have this amount paid until he's 18, unless, because you've told me, Jessica, in regards to college, usually people negotiate that into a divorce settlement. The child is over 18. You agree in your divorce settlement. You can agree to that. You can. You can, but I'm just saying you can. If that was not made, it seems to me to make things easier, since you shouldn't be having to pay child support after your child is 18, that it would just be automatic that when in court the first time, well, we know Johnny's turning 18 in 2017, then at 2017, that will stop. Right. Your agreement, your order should specify what happens, like Kusha was saying, they're doing now with the, with the district attorney's right. withholding. It should say what's going to happen when the child emancipates. But a lot of orders don't. A lot of old orders don't. Mm-hmm. And so we're dealing with this issue now. I think the bottom line is, she should have considered his offer for settlement because she would have walked away with at least part of the money that she thought she was owed. Instead, she ended up paying him. As an attorney, that's like the worst scenario that your client could be in. Uh, Greed, seven deadly sins, right? But don't blame your lawyer. It's not the lawyer's fault, right? It's never the lawyer's fault, Connie. Look, I'm with you. I think it, overall, when I see this, the red flag to me is greed. Granted, you did have to go back to court to fight him to get the child support that he wasn't paying. But you knew for a fact that he was overpaying. There's no way that you didn't know that. Your child is no longer 18. Well, it depends on what his income was, though. So, like, child support was set way back when, when his income was X amount. What if his income increased during but that time? See, that would be her fault if she mm-hmm. thinks and it then, increased. Go right, back so and it's on both it. of their faults. Right. It's on both of them to make sure that the child support award is commiserate with what it should be. I, I agree with Kusher. It's not the lawyer's fault, Connie. I don't think this is the lawyer's fault either. You knew that you were overpaid. Right. That was made clear, I think, by the attorney. Well, you already received $18,000 of overpayment. Yeah, but that argument was made in court. She kind of went back and forth. She said, in court, they argued this, and then I lost. 
But she knew. Everyone I know that has kids knows that the child support is cut off at 18. I know two people who have an agreement in their divorce that they will pay for college. Two people of my friends that are divorced had that written in. Right. Most people know, I would say it's general knowledge that you are no longer going to receive child support once your child turns 18. See, I don't like those provisions that require obligations past 18 in high school because then we're cutting our kids off. Those at 18, kids, right, John? Those, you're done. Those <laughs> Cutting kids, the apron yeah. strings. Those kids who become adults, then they have beneficiary rights under that agreement and could sue mom and dad for not paying for their school, I think. So I don't like they that. They absolutely could. So I mean, they become third-party beneficiaries to that You're contract. creating a whole other problem, potentially. Right. You get into an argument with your daughter and you're estranged for a period of time and all of a sudden you get sued you get for college. Sued by your kid. That'll put the <laughs> that's you it. Pay for college, I've been accepted man. to Harvard. <laughs> <laughs> you will pay for half. Wow, yeah, I didn't think about that. I was just thinking UNR. I can afford to have you get mad at me at UNR payments, but <laughs> Harvard. Harvard payments a little different. Nope. UNR is still not exactly cheap, but it's a good deal. Better than Harvard. I know. It's Both ridiculous. of us have children at UNR. Well, Are you happy that you're paying the UNR bill, or would you happen to be paid the Harvard bill? I'm happy with the UNR <laughs> bill. It would have been nice had my daughter gotten the scholarship she was supposed to get again, but she didn't. So that was a, that was a twelve hundred dollars. Well, at least you have you have another daughter that I know could maybe get the scholarship. But she's signing a promissory note, and she's going to pay us hundred bucks a month till it's paid in full at seven and a half percent interest. See, no that's way. A good parent. Yeah. Shut up. Really? That extra twelve hundred dollars. Yeah. If she gave up free money, I'm with you, John. Wait, she didn't get the scholarship. And so okay, let me tell you how lame this is, this is. This is crazy. Okay. She got the Millennium Scholarship. And the ru- new rules with the Millennium Scholarship is you have to get a 2.6 GPA your first year, quote, year at UNR. She got a cumulative 2.72, which is really bad. She really, like, screwed up. Okay. But here's how they define year at UNR. It's anything less than 30 credits. And so when they bring you in and the advisors talk to the kids, they push 15 credits each semester because they want you to finish in four years. So she took 15 credits semester one, 15 credits semester two, total of 30 credits. She got all her 30 credits. But as soon as she got over 29 credits, she's considered a second year. So she had to get a 2.75 GPA as a second year. So they totally screw all these kids because they push them to 30 credits. This sounds like a lawsuit. But if you're below 2.75 after that 29th credit, you're in second year and you don't get the Millennium Scholarship and then you have to reapply the next year. And to me, that's just total BS. This is ridiculous. So the statute was set up with First year, it doesn't define what years are in the statute. You know, it sets forth all the, the, the law, and it allows the Board of Regents to set the specific policy. And the Board of Regents came in and said, anything, 30 credits or more, you're considered second year, and you have to have this higher GPA, which I think is just bogus. If that's the case, your advisor should be telling you, take 29 credits or For less. sure. This mm-hmm. is a lawsuit. I we need to certify crap. a class. Total crap. I'm really mad at UNR. I'm not going to the football game tonight. Well, you're on notice. The thing is, all three of us are in the same boat because our other kids ain't going to get a millennial scholarship because yeah, it ain't available any money anymore. Left. They're true. done. God bless Kenny Gwynn and yeah. the tobacco industry. And oh, 
Bill Clinton. Thanks for smoking. (laughs) (laughs) You've been listening to Love Court Off the Record. I'm podcast producer Connie Ray reminding you if you want your legal questions answered by John or Jessica on the podcast, you can write to us via askjessica at alice965.com or send a private message to their Facebook page, Anderson Kusher. That's K-E-U-S-C-H-E-R.